Let us pray. May our thoughts, words, and actions be holy and acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our gospel reading this morning is complicated, to say the least. It doesn't make a lot of sense. We hear Jesus saying things that we don't normally associate with what Jesus would say. I think we can understand it a little bit better if we put it into context. This portion of the Gospel of Matthew that we read this morning immediately follows what we read and considered last week. The sending out of the disciples that Jesus does at the beginning of his ministry. And so today Jesus continues his instructions to them. And he begins this reading by warning the disciples that they may be maligned and rejected because they are his followers. He says to them, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? To understand what Jesus is saying here is Beelzebul was, was the lord of the demons. And as Jesus was going around casting out demons, people said, well, how can he have authority over demons unless he is a demon himself or possessed by a demon himself? And so that's what Jesus is saying, that if they're accusing me of this, how much more will they accuse those who follow me of being that way? Then Jesus continues. His next words are intended to give them comfort. But of course, as we're reading this now, 2,000 years later, they really don't seem that comforting. Perhaps we're in an entirely different position as the original than the original audience who was supposed to hear this gospel. I think we can figure it out a little bit more if we understand that there were sort of two intended audiences to Jesus' words. There was the primary audience of the disciples that Jesus was speaking to them while sending them out. But there's also a hidden secondary audience, and that was the community for whom this gospel was written, the community that gave birth to the gospel of Matthew, a church who was very likely facing persecution that might have ended in their deaths. Like, martyrdom was a real possibility for them. They were facing something entirely real. And these words of Jesus were strong words for an incredibly difficult time. And they needed those decisive words because what they were facing was so seemingly insurmountable and so terrible. Proclaiming Christ might result in death, but God would never forsake those who confessed Christ. And there's comfort in that. After this, we come to perhaps, for me at least, the, the strangest part of the reading. Jesus proclaims, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, I find these words disturbing because 
they're so different from the Jesus that, that I think we like to hear. The Jesus who on the Sermon on the Mount said, blessed are the peacemakers. Or the Jesus who on the night he was betrayed when one of his disciples cut off the ear of the high priest's slave, rebuked that disciple and told him to sheath his sword. Jesus who came not to create an insurrection against the Roman Empire, but to live in love for our sake. And so perhaps it would be easy to dismiss these words of Jesus, to say they're just an aberration, that they don't make sense. But we have to also remember Jesus, who cleansed the temple, who angrily threw out those who sought to make a profit off of people's piety, yelling and screaming and putting a cord of whips together. Another side of Jesus. So what what do we do with this Jesus who comes with a sword and sets people against each other? Well, Well, part of what we can do is we can look at this text in its historical context. Historically, this passage was very true in the early church. Those who chose to follow Jesus would sometimes have to be set against their parents, against those whom they were related to, those whom they loved. Following Jesus meant creating sort of a wedge in these relationships. Then as the church progressed, this text was often used to persecute those who who were considered heretics. And as the Reformation came, again, this passage was used to create more of a wedge in between people to such an extent that perhaps this passage has sort of lost its way in that it's been used to establish an us versus them dichotomy, a sort of, well, we who have it right against those who have it wrong, and we have to sever those relationships. I don't necessarily think that's what Jesus is talking about here. I don't think that's how we make sense of this Jesus who says that. For me, when I consider this passage and consider Jesus who says these words, I go back to the literature of my childhood. I go back to the Chronicles of Narnia. And in the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis writes again and again when he's talking about Aslan, the lion who exemplifies Jesus, who is sort of um, an analogy for Jesus. He says, Aslan is not a tame lion. And this is how I make sense of this passage, the idea that God is not a tame God. God is not always, does not always fit to our expectations. We can't pin Jesus down to one thing. We can't make God fit our expectations. Actually, that's the wrong way around. We must conform to God. To be followers of Christ, we must walk in the way Jesus walked in that path doesn't always make sense. It's not always clear. Consider the final thing that Jesus says in this passage. 
Jesus says, those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. A riddle, a paradox that is baffling. And this is so against the normal way that we want to go. I think so often in our lives we're trying to find things, the right job, the perfect relationship, the dream house, the fancy car. We go after these things, and when we get them, we cling to them. We try to hold on to them with all that we're worth. We, in some ways, become defined by them. But Jesus says that this isn't the way to go forward. The way forward is exactly the opposite, that to find life, We must first lose it for God's sake. The true living comes not from holding on, not trying to control everything, not trying to possess everything, but from giving up. Think of a palm full of sand. If you take a handful of sand, what happens if you grip it really tightly? If you grip it tightly, it, 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 it falls out from beneath, be, from between your fingers. You cannot possess the sand by gripping tightly. It's only by loosely and gently holding it that you can keep it in the palm of your hands. And that's not a, a perfect metaphor, but I think it gets to what Jesus is talking about. That at the end of the day... It's about adopting a posture of humility, faith, and trust. The acknowledgement that God, who created all life, is still the source of life. It's about giving up, about losing what we have in order to find what God's offering. As I was thinking about this homily, I couldn't help but think about the time that we're living through this pandemic, the time that's so defined by this particular coronavirus. There's so many things that we want to grasp tightly so we don't lose them. But despite our strongest efforts and our tightest grips, they seem to evaporate. Our normal rhythms, the way we think about ourselves, the way we define our place in the world, even the way we come together as a church community have all changed. We've lost what we're used to, what's comfortable. Perhaps any illusion we had of control has disappeared. And in many ways, this is sad and it's difficult and hard, and I don't want to minimize that. But what if there's an opportunity here? What if in the losing of what we hold dear, we intentionally create room for God? What if letting go of those things creates more space for the divine presence in our lives? What if we were intentional about not returning to how things were? But what if we permanently lost some things for Jesus' sake? What if we loosened the grip on the sand of our lives to create more room 
for the Holy Spirit. I would like to think that then, only when we let go of our control, only when we deepen our trust and rely on faith, can we experience the true life that is found in God. I think that this is the good news for us today, on this particular Sunday, in the middle of this pandemic, that in losing, we find life. That in giving up, we can find meaning. Amen.